Welcome to the Wags of SCI podcast, where we discuss life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury. Hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Both of our partners are quadriplegics. And after connecting online in 2017, we began the advocacy and support group WAGS of SCI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends with Spinal Cord Injury. We know firsthand the challenges that come with living this lifestyle. And our mission is to spread education, awareness, and positivity from our unique perspectives. Us each week as we tackle deep discussions around balancing life as a caregiver and a lover to someone with a spinal cord injury. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Wags of SCI podcast. Here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wags of SCI podcast. Today, Brooke and I are going to be sharing with you what it looks like to plan for a trip without your partner. So being a caregiver to both of our partners, we would like to share with you what preparation looks like for us to be able to leave our partners in success and to set them up properly before we take off. And uh, we'll get right into that after this message from Brooke. So thank you so much to this episode's sponsors, Robin Wishart of Wishart Brain and Spine Law. Robin is the official legal advocate of the WEGS of SCI community, and she has been helping us with our personal cases for over four years now. Robin is a brain and spine law lawyer, so she is very, very highly nichely focused in this community. She also has a wealth of knowledge about the issues that caregivers face, and that's why she's on our team. So if you have any issues, um, whether it's insurance or benefit paperwork, understanding what is in front of you, trying to find resources in your area, or letters of medical recommendation, or letters of legal action, Robin can help you. So if you need any assistance, she helps us all the time behind the scenes. Please visit our website at wagsofsci.com and click on the legal resources tab to learn more about our partnership. You can also visit Robin's website directly where you can learn more about her and her team at brainandspinelaw.com. We also wanted to send a big shout out to John Hicks McKenzie at The Wheel Life Official on Instagram. So Johnny is a digital creator, but his page is really amazing because not only has he been around since the very start of WAGS and been one of our hugest supporters, he also runs something called the Know Your Role University. And he does post daily about interesting facts and statistics about the disability community. So it's a huge wealth of information. Not only that, he's a big advocate for anyone in a chair and he is, him and his wife are very involved in the community, him and his wife, Nicole. So go over to Instagram and search at the wheel life official to follow John and his partner and wife, Nicole. So thank you everyone for tuning in today. This is a really good opportunity to talk about what it takes to travel because we're in the midst of traveling ourselves. So this, uh, trip that we are both going on is going to be really exciting because it's our first international speaking and conference engagement for WAGS of SCI. Um, And during this time, we're going to be flying to actually next Monday. So one week (laughs) from today, when the podcast is being recorded, um, we are going to be flying to Atlanta and we're going to be staying for four days and three nights at the Hilton in Atlanta. 
And we're going to be one of the panelists on a really exciting presentation on WEGS of SCI, but also the Kessler Institute's research on caregivers that we've partnered with. So it's going to be really mm-hmm. exciting. And what a great time to talk about what it takes to travel because we like to involve you guys in our lives because, you know, it fosters that sense of you're not alone. But we also know how important travel is and how many women want to travel but don't know what goes into it. Maybe you're newly injured. Maybe, you know, maybe your partner is um, unwilling to travel and you want to encourage him to travel, whatever it is. This episode will help you because we're going to talk about what we're doing to prepare this coming week. So. Right. So, th- so the study is actually on the unmet needs of caregivers, which is like you said, very, it's very fitting to what the unmet, unmet needs of caregivers are in terms of preparing when you're the primary caregiver, all of the work you have to do to prepare your household, the meal prep, the, you know, hiring care, uh, from outside to come in and take care of your partner or help or, or assist your partner and all of the things that caregivers that spousal caregivers provide, uh, within their home for their partners, that all these skills have to be trained. So it takes a lot of time and energy to retrain somebody to fill in those gaps and do the proper care that is needed, such as, you know, the medical care of doing catheters, um, how to do assisted, assisted coughs, if your partner needs that, how to do pressure release, checking for pressure sores. Uh, the list is quite extensive. So I really love this because both Brooks and my perspectives of what that looks like are very different, right? The needs of our partners are different because they have different levels of injury, but the amount of time spent on the care that they do need is not that different. So let's get into that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And it's really cool because it's really good to talk about different perspectives because there are so many different levels of injury in this community. Um, So let's just give kind of like a background to anyone who has been following us over the past year. You've probably heard about the ACRM. And you've also probably heard about the Kessler study that we are participating in um, mm-hmm. and lending our voice to, and really, um, we're really involved in the study. And so I remember a year ago when the lead research scientist on the study, her name's Denise, she was very involved in um, you know, putting this all together for us. And when she initially asked us, I remember us being like, well, I mean, Denise, like you need to understand what goes into us traveling. Cause she'd said, you guys, we'd love you to come and do your presentation at the ACRM. And so (laughs) us, we were both like, okay, let's be brutally honest about what it actually will take to get us to Atlanta. Not just because of the distance, because it is a six hour flight, but because of everything that goes into it. And so I thought it was so funny <laughs> that because she because she's not a caregiver, right? She works with the Kessler Foundation, but she still doesn't understand what goes into the day-to-day life, especially at the start when we were doing, like she wasn't done the study yet. She was still interviewing people. We were still in, we were in a different phase of the study. So she didn't really understand exactly what this lifestyle was to the full extent that that she does now. And so both of us were like, okay, so this is what what is going to be needed. So we are mm-hmm. going to have to have help as far as with someone to fill in for the care that we provide. And she had no idea what that entailed. So it was very interesting. And I, I think that it really helped her in, with not only her research, but to just really understand everything that goes into this life. 
right? It's just another person that understands more. And because she leads so many research teams, right? So. Right. And I think just to rewind here, Brooke, briefly, the reason that Denise came across us actually was through the Washington Post Live when we were on a panel um, for the caregiver crisis. So we were live with another individual who came from, uh, she was the CEO, CEO, um, basically advocating for the, for the needs of women who are the parents to children. They're the caregivers to their children. There was another CEO of his company, um, that supports adults who are the caregivers to their aging parents who have, all sorts of ailments like dementia, Alzheimer's. Um, then there was us, which were the the spousal caregivers, right, for our men. And Denise had mentioned that she saw a bit of a brief. It was funny because the interview was really, really good. But at one point, my my internet disconnected and the the cable box of my house blew up. So then I went off screen completely. Do you remember that? I disappeared completely just to resurface again. And in that moment was able to give the the quote that basically you and I use for everything from Rosalind Carter's famous, famous quote, which was, there are only four types, four kinds of people in the world. Those who have been caregivers, those who are caregivers, those who will be caregivers and those who will need a caregiver. And that was the quote that I believe Denise came across and found us on because we are the largest spousal caregiving network in across the globe. So that was pretty fantastic to be able to to get somebody's attention through this you know, interview. And so that is where Denise actually came across the WEGS of SEI, Brooke and Elena. And it sounds like it was the perfect time because that is when they were doing the study, proposing that they do a one-year study on the unmet needs of caregivers. And in our case of spousal caregivers, because that is very different than being a parental caregiver. So to have that, that spotlight on the work that you and I've been doing for since beginning of time, since 2017 has been pretty incredible. We're coming full circle here where we're able to shine a light on specifically not to be confused with all caregivers, but spousal caregivers. Yeah. Um, it's really, really exciting to have a hand in, um, something that's going to influence public policy, right. In the future, um, something that will be used in, appeals to get women paid or, you know, you never know how this research will be used. So we're really, really yeah. excited about that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and we, yeah. Sorry, go on, Brooke. And like, what about the future? Like now that we've connected with all of these people at the Kessler Foundation and the Reeve Foundation, um, there's a lot of opportunity for different studies that branch off this study, um, more specific topics even. So it's really exciting. It is. And we, you know, we also would love to give a big shout out to the women in our community who came forward, who participated, who who participated and gave their time and their voice towards the study. We had a, a great turnout from women coming forward saying, you know, I really do want to make an impact. I really do want to be heard. And this was a great way to be able to to move forward, to give give that piece back to the research and to the community. Yeah. And um it is really exciting to kind of, to be able to shape the study as well. Like I remember when they were first designing it, we advocated for different payments to people who participate. 
um, we advocated for a lot of different questions to be asked and they listen to us, right? Like we've done countless meetings where we have outlined, you know, oh, this isn't exactly factual. This isn't, uh, this isn't something that is, because I remember at the very start, they kind of were like going in blind, right? And this, that's why it's so important for people like the Wags of SCI to voice their concerns into current research because these research scientists, they don't know anything about this life, right? And um, it's just so important to get your real life perspective into that and just be like, oh no. And we're working on another study right now with UBC as you, you know, people who listen to the podcast will already know about um, where, you know, we're really shaping things to be accurate, right? Because I know there's a lot of times you go and look for things on caregiving and look for statistics on caregiving and studies. And a lot of them don't mm-hmm. speak to the real life of caregivers, right? It's, it feels a little bit outdated. It also feels like yeah. um, they're supporting, it, it's that typical imagery that comes to your mind when you talk about people with disabilities, where you, you picture old granny sitting on her porch in her wheelchair or rocking chair, just like knitting away. And the reality is that people with disabilities are not necessarily the elderly population. It can happen to you. It can happen to you in a flash and, and that awareness for being able to have those, like just, just really easygoing dinner conversations um, with your friends and family to be able to create awareness. And it comes from a place of curiosity. That is where the true change begins. So we're going to keep on pushing that. <laughs> yeah, really exciting. Um, and so for the 2023 conference that we are attending next week, um, the presentation we're doing is a special symposium on the Advocating for Caregivers with Denise. Um, and it's going to be a 75-minute presentation in you know a big boardroom with a lot of people um, attending. And the people that are going to this conference, the theme is um, – uh, emerging technology and rehabilitative medicine. So, so there's going to be a lot of physiatrists and doctors and sports medicine therapists and, um, you know, nurses and, you know, company owners that are in the rehabilitative medicine space. There's going to be a lot of hospitals because in the States it's privatized, right? And so there's a lot of different hospital representatives that are going to be there. So this is just such a huge opportunity for the group. Um, and it just shows that, especially since the pandemic, you know, people actually care about spotlighting caregivers. Like we are the only presentation that has something to do with caregivers in a sea of presentations about rehabilitation medicine, which is amazing because 10 years ago, we probably wouldn't have been mentioned, right? There wouldn't have been anything mentioned about caregivers within this soup of rehab and hospital and the future technology and rehab medicine. So I think that in itself shows how far we've come in such a short period of time. Yeah, 100%. And we know it because we were there, we were there in rehab with no support. And we can say that very, very bluntly, that there is absolutely no support for us as the as the girlfriend or the wife in the rehab setting. So there you have it, folks. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There you have it. (laughs) There you have it. Speaking our truth, like always really trying to do it with love, though. (laughs) So anyways, let's get back into our routine. So Brooke and I are packing our bags. We just checked off the fact that we both have our passports this morning. (laughs) We are ready. We are ready to jet set to Atlanta. And uh, so tell me, Brooke, 
what does that look like? What does that entail for you guys, for you and Evan? What does that look like to get prepared, to have a sense of security that everything is going to go smoothly while you are away? And just also, I think it's important to mention that how many times have you gone away since, since your partner's injury? Give us a bit of a background of, is this something that you plan for um, occasionally, or is this something that happens to you guys? Are Do you have these opportunity, opportunities often to be able to just kind of pack up and take off, or what does that look like? Um, okay, so I think it's important to note that my partner, who is C4, uh, quadriplegic, he has this um, end of May, this coming May, he will have been injured 10 years. So it's been a long time. Um, and during that time, we're kind of, you know, we, we live a different life. I am his only caregiver. Um, so we don't have nursing other than a little bit of family support that comes in. And that is, you know, it's not something that I complain about. That is 100% by choice. Um, we do travel a lot. We like to travel a lot. We like to kind of go by the beat of our own drum and the routine kind of the thing, the routine just didn't work for us. And I've talked about this in different podcasts where, you know, the first couple of years of his injury, we had nursing. It didn't really work with our lifestyle. And so I just decided to do it and it kind of, it works for us. Right. And so during this, these last two, 10 years, um, I've only gone away one time and that was actually with you. Um, that was in 20, when was that? 2018. You and I went to Whistler for one mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. And during that time, we hired an agency to come in. My husband requires 24-hour care because, you know, while he has decent bicep function for a C4, you know, he can move his arms up and down and he does have a bit of tenodesis, he does require a lot of care, especially because his left his left arm, it's just the function is not there, especially in his shoulder. And I would say the left side of his body is more traditional C4 and then the right side is a bit stronger, um, maybe like C5 level. So he does require 24-hour care. And um, so we got nursing to come in and it was just, it was kind of a disaster. Um, I came home to, he had cuts and swelling on his groin um, and the people that they sent were not qualified to do the tasks that he needed. And this was after weeks and weeks and weeks of planning. So it was kind of something that we didn't have any control in what happened. We did the best that we could. You know, we lined up care according to his needs. We made sure that everything was supposed to go according to plan and that the people that were coming were qualified and it was through an agency. So there was accountability and that ended up not being the case. Right. And so we learned a lot from that. We learned that, um, you have to have a very special people as caregivers. Um, and it really does matter who you call and what company you call and who is accountable. And it's a trial and error process, right? I mean, we've had four or five different caregivers in the past when he was first injured in 2014. And we had very different experiences with them, but a lot of the time it was just, they don't care as much as the partner, right? Which is, we talk about this a lot in the group. Anyways, so that all happened. And so now with this opportunity, I was very clear from the start with Denise and the Kessler Foundation. And I said, listen, we don't have another caregiver to come in. I have to factor this into my speaking contract. And I have to be honest with you. Like I, he needs 24 hour care. You guys have to be able to pay for that care because we currently don't have it. We don't have it set up. So that was like months and months and months ago. So there was a lot of time to set up care 
in that in that aspect. And we had a few things happen that was really great. We had um, a caregiver come into our life kind of out of the blue um, that we were able to hire for his care and the Kessler Foundation are going to pay for the total cost of overnight care and uh, nursing care for my partner. So there's a lot there's a lot of a better system and my family is involved so I feel more confident and I actually don't really have any worries because everything just came together so fluidly. Um, and so obviously that I'm just like, okay, like there's nothing more we can do to ensure he has proper care. <laughs> so he's got care lined up. Kessler Foundation is paying for it, which is great. It was part of our contracts for both Alina and I. And it was really good for them. Like I said earlier, it was really good for the team and, and Denise to hear about what we go through when it comes to the planning, because she had no idea. She was just kind of blind. She was like, oh yeah, just come on the plane and do it for three days. It's no issue. And then it's just like, whoa, wait, there's a lot of prep that goes into all of this. Um, so I'm hoping this time it goes smoother. If it doesn't, you know, we've got family, we've got backups, we've got friends. Um, we've got an agency backup just in case. Um, so it should be, it should be good. It kind of takes the stress off. Right. And I think it's really important that Anytime something happens to you in the past that is not ideal, you can't let that paralyze your future experiences, right? Because this has all worked together so seamlessly and because we're going to be doing something so huge and important for the community, it's like important to put those fearful thoughts aside, I think. So um, especially those of you out there who are, you know, have higher level injured quads and have not traveled or, you know, that you want to go away for a self-care break, it's important to try these things out and see how you feel. I mean, I remember we've, and we've talked about this before as like on our first trip with you and I, Elena, it was interesting because I was very anxious about leaving him alone. Right. And it turns out kind of my worst fears happened and everything was okay. And I think it's really important to have experiences like that, where you realize that things are looked after, even when the worst thing happens. Um, and I feel, I feel like the same way about it my husband's spinal cord injury is like, I always view it as like the worst thing possible pretty much happened to us. And we're not only doing well, we're flourishing. And there's always silver linings that can come out of poor experiences. So the, so going away is, is no different. Um, so as far as like preparing the house, um, so I think it's really important to leave a clean house and make sure it's clean and organized and the sheets are clean and everything is ready. I have a list from my my husband because he can't do much physically, but he does a lot of organizing for us. Um, I'm not a big organizer. He kind of is. So he fits that puzzle piece really well for me. So he's made a list of all of the foods that he needs to have in the fridge and all the stuff that I have to prepare and the different errands that I have to do. So that kind of takes it off my plate. And I think that's a really important tip for you know a quad wife or a quad partner that wants to travel is you kind of have to make sure that your partner is also pulling their weight and doing what they can to assist you. You don't have to do everything yourself because, you know, between those ears on your partner, there's a brain that works that was not impacted, you know, by the spinal cord injury and they can help in various ways. And so teamwork is really important. So he's made this list for me of all the things I need to do. It's all organized so that I know exactly what day to do them on. And so I kind of just put that out of my mind. Um, and so, yeah, food prep is a big thing in our house, just making sure that all of our caregivers are well-versed in his needs. So a few weeks ago, just to give them more time, I made a sample day plan of like 
non-ballot days versus ballot days and like if he has to do you know bowels extra what happens and what our days like look like for us um so that they know kind of exactly what goes on and there's no surprises and then you're kind of protected you know if they were to say oh i didn't know that was going on or i didn't know this was going on you have a list of everything that usually goes on um so i made sure that i made that and i think that's important because then you know your caregivers can ask questions before you leave and you can make sure that there's no eyes not dotted or T's crossed, right? Um, And then lastly, just making sure that my stress is under control and that I'm doing various self-care activities to make sure that, you know, there's going to be a lot of stress on travel day. You know, it's going to be, it's not going to be easy, right? Traveling on a six-hour plane ride and airport travel is 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 not easy, but I will also say that I'm excited to travel on my own because it's been a while since I've gone anywhere by myself or with a friend um, without having all of his equipment and extra bags and worrying about transferring into the plane. And so I think I'm focusing on that and just kind of the excitement there and just have it doing something different. And so that's kind of what I'm doing. So I'm making sure I'm doing extra cold dips this week. I'm doing some red light therapy this week. I'm doing some um, IV therapy this week, making sure I'm getting in all my meditations, making sure I'm eating really well. And just that in itself is really, really important to make sure that you're set up for success so that um, everything goes smoothly. And then you get there and you're all fresh and you can present and um, things will things will work out accordingly. So what about you, Elena? What are you doing this week for yourself and for Dan? What does it look like for you when you are going away? Because I know this isn't your first time going away. This is something that you like to do. So why don't you let us know your kind of plan? Um, yes. So this is not my first time going away. That being said, this is my first time going away in how many years? A lot of years since pre-pandemic. I have not been on any flights. I have not left the city pre-pandemic. So um, getting on a flight is going to be new for me as of, I don't know, quite a few years. Um, But the biggest thing for us is that this time around, we are able to have care that we hire, have care in the house that, that is able to come in and help. And that is something that's always been in the back of my mind, but also has been a really good lesson for both of us since Dan's injury is this is how we figured out what he was capable of doing and not capable of doing with a C5 level injury um, was by me going away and, and him figuring out, okay, I can't do this. I can't do that. Or I can do this. Like, um, you know, the realities of actually leaving him to figure it out for himself instead of always having somebody there to rely on without even trying to do certain certain aspects of his own living. So that has been a really good teacher for us. <clears throat> However, as many of you have known, um, Dan did undergo a nerve transfer surgery in the last couple of years, which has been, it has been helpful for him, but the most helpful 
I would say the most helpful decision we have made was getting a big dog. So Watson, Watson, I would say is Dan's caregiver sometimes do. He's such a great dog. He's a half Australian shepherd, half poodle. And the skills after having two dog trainers, the skills that Watson is able to do are things like pick up absolutely any item off the ground. So if he's in his bed, he can tell him to grab his bed remote if it falls on the ground. If he drops his phone on the ground in the living room, Watson will pick up his phone, his wallet, his whatever it is that Dan drops. And that has been huge for us because last year, Dan, um, while he was at work, they were actually participating in some sort of like an Easter activity game. He hooked his arm on the back of his wheelchair on, on the handle and he bent over sideways and he cracked a rib. So that was a huge eye-opening experience in terms of the way that he bends, the, you know, to pick up things, to pick up items that have fallen on the ground. And that that's just been overall, Watson has been a huge help for him. So I feel like they have a really good relationship. They have a really good situation going. So we always joke, he's our working dog. He is the part-time caregiver and he's so sweet. So, and also he's the companion. He gets really excited when dad gets home um, from school late at night. If I'm not here, then he will definitely have him. But we've also been able to um, hire also hire a couple of people to come in and be there as a support for Dan, which makes me feel a lot better. And I know that even though Dan's level does allow him to do quite a few things independently, it doesn't take away from the fact that he is still a quadriplegic living in a wheelchair And I do have these concerns if there was, let's say, a fire or a fire alarm and how would he leave the house? What if he's in bed? Um, There are things that happen when I'm not here. He uses a CPAP. You know, there are other things that happen that I do do in the middle of the night, getting up, grabbing things that fall on the ground, uh, helping him put his legs back into bed. So these are still things that do happen. Um, We were already talking about like what you had mentioned about meal prep, being able to prep meals quickly for him. He's a full time student. He goes to school. The commute is about two hours each way, which he's been really grateful to have as BTAC. But even while he's at school, he's always asking for a assistance from other individuals around him with various things. So these are things to keep in mind that just because Dan is a C5 level quadriplegic doesn't mean that he is able to live independently hundred percent. That's not accurate. Um, I do think that various members in the communities, uh, in the community are able to get by. But again, we come back down to why does life have to be harder? We don't want him just to get by. We want him to be successful. We want him to feel supported. We want him to have the best quality of life possible. And that means, you know, having support for proper meal prep, not accessing fast food every day, having a clean home, having clean laundry, having clean clothing, it's just the overall quality of life that really makes makes it for us. So I'm grateful that I'm his partner. I'm grateful that I'm able to be here. I'm grateful that we were able to hire care because had we not gone through the Kessler Foundation for this specific 
hiring, there is no way we'd be able to afford outside care to come in and help him while I am away, as I am still not compensated as his as his caregiver in any way or sort. And it's been, we're coming on to eight years here. So, but before we go away on Wednesday, we are having another time task analysis done for the self-directive directive care program through CECL. So that will happen at 7 a.m. bright and early. And they're going to come in and assess what it looks like for Dan to live his life through various tasks and measuring those tasks through time. And so that is happening right before we go away. So we have a lot of planning to do. But um, we are also very grateful to have a neighbor that's very close by who has for the last two and a half years that we've been living here has been able to answer all of his calls, come in and help Dan leash up the dog, you know, grab cans of tomato on the, on a higher shelf. If he's wanting to, you know, do some sort of a cooking or do something like that. We don't have a dishwasher. So a lot of the times any sort of cooking that Dan does, any sort of project, I come in and then I clean up from that because it's just not, feasible for him to do it all. So these are, again, you know, when we, when we have these conversations about independence, I think they're really truly highlighted when in instances of when I leave the house, what that looks like. And it's like, yes, it's doable, but is this the safest, best situation for leaving your partner? And that is sort of where we're focusing now. So it's been kind of cool. I feel like, you know, we transitioned from the very beginning of his injury to, okay, whatever, Dan, you figure it out. I got to go to now. It's like, okay, let's, let's work together as a team. How do we figure it out the best way possible and being able to do it efficiently without just being like, see, ya, I'm going to go figure it out. So that's been really cool. And we're really excited about that to be able to have those resources at hand this time around. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, we're both approaching it from a, you know, you live and you learn position where it's like, we've had stuff happen in the past where it's just like, you know, you're, stuff happens. Like, I mean, there's been times when you've gone away when the dog has pooed on the floor and he can't clean it up properly. Um, you know, like what happened with me where my partner actually got injured and he didn't receive proper care. Mm -hmm. Um, there's been a lot of situations and this is a lot of like women's worst nightmares where this is a reason why they don't travel because they don't want this to happen. Um, but I think there's a lot of value in like learning from that and moving through that, you know? Well, and that's the thing. That's where I'm talking about like the quality of like living. Yeah. It's like, okay, yes, I took off. I left. And he, and yeah. Dan's like, well, the dog was really sick. There was diarrhea all over the floor. And then he's getting, trying to get himself out of bed to clean it up because it's like, nobody wants that in their house in the middle of the night. Right. So it's just like the struggle that it took. Mm-hmm. He didn't get back into bed till 4am and it took him a long time. And still, when I came home, I sort of looked at the floor and I thought, Oh my God, I felt so, I felt sick to my stomach thinking that this is how he was left and wasn't able to clean it up properly. Right. So it's like, is it doable? Yeah, it is. So the attitude that I've come across many times with various members of the community, but also in mostly in our lives is, is this doable? Yeah, it's doable, but, but is this the best and the way that it should be? Is this the way it should be? Should you be left with not being able to properly clean? But the thing too, is the home care that we have coming in the morning, you have to understand it's not like there's a lottery system here. Like we want the lottery with home care. No, no, no. We get the bare minimum where we get an hour and a half 
And a lot of the time they come in and they say, that's not my task. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do the dishes. I, that's not part of your plan. My plan is to come in, give you a shower, do your bowel program, get you dressed and take off as soon as possible. A lot of the time when they leave, there's still, we're still cleaning up bowel accidents after they leave. Right. So it's not a perfect system. Are we grateful for it? Yes, of course. It's still an hour and a half that a lot of people don't have, but it's not a perfect system. And that is where, again, the advocacy of the unmet needs of the caregiver are things like, okay, so home care leaves, we're still cleaning up messes. And now I'm calling to either call my job and say, I'm going to be late canceling appointments that I might've waited months to have, um, dropping basically everything I'm doing because it's not okay. And I know morally it's not okay for me to walk out the door, leaving my partner sitting in their own mess. Right. Like, so you're going to be doing the work anyway. So what are the unmet needs of the caregiver? How do we support the spousal caregiver while they support the individual with a disability? Well, and I think that our trip as a whole and how we've planned it is a really, really good example of how you set someone else up for set someone up for true success versus setting them up for failure, right? Like we've heard countless stories from people in the community, especially locally, of how they didn't qualify for a, you know overnight care and they had to be left by themselves and there was a fire alarm and they couldn't get out. And um, you know, they I've heard stories about like what we were speaking about earlier, fast food, where it's like you don't qualify for help fixing your food. So you have to go to McDonald's and that's all you eat. And then, you know, people wonder why uh people with spinal cord injuries have so many comorbidities and have metabolic syndrome, well, this is a lot to do with it, right? The whole, I don't qualify. So what what I'm saying is it's really cool to see and for me to experience and for you to experience what happens when you get, you have someone like the Kessler Foundation say, okay, we will support you in this. We will set you up for success so that you don't have that, so that you have 24-hour support if you need it. Um, that is huge because look how much stress it took off our plates just by having that, you know, and we don't know what happens overnight, right? Like, let's just say something happened with Dan, um, having like that kind of support that is there just in case we always talk about how being a caregiver, one of the main things that we always talk about is that you can never fully disconnect. Um, and so it's going to be interesting, fully disconnecting, being yeah, six totally. hours away across the country, right across the country. And then in a new country, you know, the <laughs> very other end of North America and having to fully disconnect, but also being set up for success so that, you know, your partner has someone there should something happen. That in itself shows us how important it is to fix the system and how important it is to set these people up for success. Because here's the thing. There's not a lot of quadriplegics compared to regular people in the world, right? They're a minority. They're an extreme minority. Um, but that being said, if if the world is going to go through all the steps to make things accessible and equality and all that stuff, you have to think about that. what that really, really means, right? Like I was saying earlier about how we explained, we kind of gave her the cold hard truth, Denise, as to you know what it takes to leave two quadriplegics and fly across the country. And if everybody knew that, um, then there would be a lot of differences in the system and funds could be allocated differently. And we could have people with overnight care that actually need it so that yeah. that stress gets taken off their plate. It's, it's just a really good example of how you feel when things are set up according to what you need instead of according to what your bare minimum needs are. And that stress difference in itself is really palpable. 
Yeah, 100%. While you were talking about this, I just had these visions. Actually, I remember when we first moved into this location, which is just a couple years ago, and the days that I would be out of the house gone, um, Dan, I would come home and he would say, oh, yeah, I had to have the neighbor upstairs come over and help me. And I remember saying, what do you mean? The neighbor upstairs. How the how the heck did you get a hold of the neighbor upstairs? And he would be leaned over. Let's say he would slip and his chest would be on his knees and he can't get back up screaming for help, 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 help until somebody heard him. And I said, what if absolutely nobody heard you? Like you would be like this, you'd be lying on the floor, whatever it is. I've had numerous phone calls saying, Elena, can you come, come home? I have my, my chair tipped backwards. I'm pinned between the dresser and the lift or et cetera. Right. So yes, once again, going back to, can you live this life by yourself as a quadriplegic? Sure you can. Do you want to live it with no support? Do, is that something that you want? And those are things that I do keep, you know, I can speak very openly about this, that these are, these are my worries because we've experienced them so many times that if I left now, I know, I know what I'm coming into. I know the sort of situations that could potentially happen because we've experienced them. It's been almost eight years. It's not something that is just like hoo-ha made up in my mind. Oh God, something might happen to him. No, no. We've experienced these situations where once again, I think it's a silver lining of the pandemic where caregivers are being looked at as an equal labor force or people are starting to understand how much work they actually pick up right? They're always there doing, doing these tasks for other people. And again, the unmet needs of caregivers are extremely important because this is a labor force that we heavily rely on, um, in our healthcare system. And it's just going to be really cool to see where the study continues on and, you know, what kind of, what kind of, uh, programs can be made from, supporting the caregivers or what kind of findings we'll have to be able to move forward to have tangible, applicable resources to help the unmet needs of caregivers. Yeah. And, you know, just to expand on what you were saying earlier about, um, you know, living your best life kind of thing, you know, we always like to like say that because even if you're paralyzed and you don't have a partner, you don't have a wig, you're still living by yourself. You're so conditioned since the time you leave rehab. And even during when you're in rehab that, oh, you won't get approved for that. Oh, you can't do that. That's not possible. Oh no, you're, you're only going to get one hour here and one hour there. And you're not going to be able to do this. And you're not going to be able to do that. I can't help but wonder <clears throat> if everyone had that mentality of like what you were saying earlier, like um, it doesn't like life doesn't have to be harder than it has to be. And what would happen if you flipped your perspective and you said, listen, I deserve more than this. I'm a human being. I deserve to not live in poverty. I deserve to have the help that I need. We have a government that is fully capable of that. You know, they send millions and millions of dollars to war-torn countries, but they can't keep their people happy, right? And this is the same everywhere. Um, It's interesting, right? Because what would happen if all of those people just started saying, you know what? I want to live a good life. Um, I want the best for myself. I'm going to fight back at this because this isn't okay. But what happens is, and we've heard so many stories, is you know they get told no, no, no. They get beaded down. They get defeated. They get demoralized, and then they say that they think that there's no option, right? Then, and that's what happens. It keeps people in these kind of handcuffs, right, where nothing can really be done unless you're 
willing to like get out of that. And that's very hard, right? It's hard when an entire system is coming down on your shoulders saying no all the time. So I'm hoping as a result of this study, people can really see, and it can kind of be a breadcrumb effect, right? Things will trickle down um, and people will really see what's possible for themselves and their partners, yeah, absolutely. And that's important. The The whole importance is that you deserve better. So take it because it is also like you were saying, it spirals down. The effect comes down, down the pipeline when more and more people don't take the resources that they can have because it affects the people around you in your case as well. So it's really important. I always say that to Dan too, you know, when, when we go out and there's like an accessibility issue at a venue or a restaurant, uh, you know, I always come back to that thought of, even if it's not for you, speak up, write that letter, you know, educate somebody about the issue because, even if it's not for you, there are going to be other people that come after you that may not have your personality or a strong enough voice to speak up for themselves. And it's going to continue going on and on and on until somebody does. And it's not even just once. You have to continuously do the work and advocate over and over and over again to be able to create, you know, there's no point complaining and saying, oh, I wish there was a better accessible world. Oh, I wish we had paid spousal caregivers. Oh, I wish we had more awareness for people with disabilities. Well, it starts with you. You have to be the person. You have to be the voice. You have to be able to, and you can do it with love. You don't have to be upset about it. You can just say, Hey, you know, I'm, I just want to educate you. And that's where it starts because if all of us took that time for whatever the issue is that you're experiencing to bring awareness, to bring a little bit more advocacy to a situation, then that we would be in a completely different space, right? We would be, we, maybe we would have accessible taxis showing up on time and not waiting two hours for an accessible taxi to show up on the weekend. Maybe we would have restaurants that, that are accessible, that understand that the footplate is hitting the table when you're sitting down to eat with your partner on a date night, right? Maybe, maybe we would have these issues that are, that are definitely becoming easier to talk about. And it's not this like taboo, scary topic about you trying to advocate for yourself. So everything matters. Everything matters. (laughs) All of the conversations matter. Yeah. And well, what about the fact that this, this all requires taking your power back, right? In order to take your power back, you have to get out of victim mode where you shift your focus from things are happening to me and I have no power to, I do have power, even if it's not a lot to start my voice does matter and I don't need to be afraid just because someone's telling me no, or just because the system is the way that it is. Um, These little bits of questioning and these little bits of advocacy, these little letters that you write that you think don't make a difference on the contrary, right? It shifts you out of victim mode. And the thing is, is, and the sad part of our society is, is that these people that are in positions of power and these government systems that are archaic in, in many ways, um, the real systems, not the systems they talk about that are great and flourishing on, on the media. These are the real policies that are in place that have been around since the 60s um, that kind of handcuff you to your disability or handcuff you to a certain way of living. Um, keep in mind that they want you to feel disempowered, right? They want you to feel like you can't make a difference because that keeps you in line and that makes it so that nothing changes, right? And there's a lot of people that benefit from that, right? And when you think about that, it's like, Oh, like if you take back your power, that 
and everybody takes back their power and everybody advocates, things change very, very quickly because there's few of them and lots of you, right? Um, even disabled people, I said earlier, there's there's quite a few disabled people. There's still more disabled people than there is people that are managing these systems and policies and making money off your disability, right? There's way more of you. And so just to feel like empowered in that, but then also think about our situation, Elena, like at the very beginning, we could have taken the stance of like, A, we can't go to this, right? Because we don't have care mm-hmm. um, or we can go, but we won't say anything. We won't factor these things into our contract. So we'll have to figure it out and the stress that goes with that. We could have done those two things, but we didn't. And we we did. chose to be honest. Well, well, and we did have those conversations. You did say, I don't know if I can go to this. And I did try to compromise and say, I don't need the care. Right. So we both did like these things did cross our minds at the beginning where I was like, oh, you know, it's fine. It's, it's not life and death. I, it's fine. If, if we can't yeah. get the care it's fine, I'm just going to go. And then mm-hmm. you from the very get go, you even said, you're like, I don't even think I can go like the amount of planning to go mm-hmm. to do something yeah. like this. And then we even had the discussion about maybe this is something that we should present about saying, do you know how much work it's going to take for us to be able to plan this so we can actually attend? But mm-hmm. then we thought about it. We, you know, we took the time, we really thought about it. And we thought, you know what, this is really important, if not for us, for other people, because this is, this is this gives us a bit of power and a voice to speak up for so many other women in our community and we know that there are this is this is a a network that is deeply needed because we have over 2000 women on the private facebook discussion group so we know that those caregivers are there and they need somebody to speak up for them so mm-hmm. that's why it's important and that's why we're doing it. And we're so excited to be able to and honored to be able to have this stance, to be able to have this position to to bring some more conversation, some more conversation around the unmet needs of caregivers. Yeah. And it also is a lesson of like what happens when you don't follow the society norm of sacrificing yourself And you actually say, you know what, it's uncomfortable, but I'm going to speak my truth. I'm going to be truthful about what my needs are. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But if it does does work out, holy shit, this is is huge, right? This is something that falls together very well and and just works out. And and in turn, you're helping others. So it just, it's kind of a lesson in like being honest is always, honesty is the best policy, says Barney. But it's true, right? It's like, you know, you can't ever... Nothing will ever come back to haunt you if you're honest and truthful. And I think that goes for travel. Like there's a lot of women probably listening that have to go away for a certain business trip or would like to do something as far as a retreat or want to go visit somebody and they have to leave their partner. If that is true to you and that is something your soul needs, it will work out how it's supposed to. And if it, if the worst possible things happen, which they've happened to us, we've talked about them you'll still make it through them and you'll become stronger in the end, as always. There's always something to be learned. There's always something new to experience. And so following that, following that need to get away or do something or, you know, follow your follow your inner guidance. Absolutely. And it'll never, it'll never steer you in in the wrong way. But you know, we hope we helped some people out there who are interested in travel and, and solo travel after their partner's injury. 
it's going to be interesting to see how everything goes for us. And we will definitely do another episode when we get back from our trip. And we will be documenting a lot of it on social media. So make sure you follow us at Wags of SCI on Instagram because we'll probably do, be doing a live or we'll probably be doing some stories from our hotel. Who knows? Maybe we'll do uh, some stories from the Russian French restaurant that we will be going to <laughs> after our <laughs> after our first uh, presentation. So follow along. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So if you have any more questions for us, um, you can connect with us at wagsofsei.gmail.com on our email. And uh, thanks again for spending this time and tuning in. And until next time, take care of yourselves and love one another. Cheers. Cheers.